Good morning. We want to welcome everybody here this morning, and we're especially excited to see Anne and Ernie. We miss you guys. We've been praying for you so much. This morning, I'm going to be reading from the Billy Graham devotional, Hope for Each Day, and I'm going to read the one for May 22nd, which is, In Giving We Receive. And the verse is, Love one another as I have loved you. And it's John 5:12. St. Francis of Assisi had discovered the secret of happiness when he prayed, Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to love as to, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Tears shed for ourselves are tears of weakness, but tears of love shed for others are a sign of strength. I am not as sensitive as I ought to be until I'm able to weep o'er the erring one and lift up the fallen. And until I have learned the value of compassionately sharing others' sorrow, distress, and misfortune, I cannot know real happiness. The opposite of love isn't hate, it's selfishness. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to free your life from selfishness and fill you instead with his love? I have a confession to make this week. I've been substitute teaching, which at any time is rough, but at the end of the school year is crazy rough. And I've been, for two weeks straight, I've been subbing almost every single day. And I got a text on the way home from school on Friday that our friends from Albuquerque were coming to stay with us. And my first thought was, Lord, please, I'm so tired. I can't do this. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, they would do it for you. And I was so convicted. And I, it, I just completely did an about face to serve them and to rejoice that they were there. And it was a wonderful time for all of us. We had really good prayer times together. And the Lord used it in my life. And he showed me that he's sufficient when we're exhausted and we think we cannot do another thing and another thing comes along. Not only is it an opportunity for us, but it's an opportunity for us to experience the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the regeneration of your energy by the grace of God so that you can do what he's asked you to do. So the Lord not only convicted me, he filled that spot in my heart. I'd like to pray together this morning. I kind of did it inside out. I did the devotional first. But I'd like to pray for all of us and just thank the Lord for Ernie. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for the work that you have done in all of our hearts and lives. We tend to try to rely on our own strength, and then it finally runs out, and we find out that you are just waiting all the time to give us your strength. And I just want to thank you for continually giving Anne strength to be able to go through this ordeal with Ernie. And I thank you for bringing him back to us. So wonderful to see the culmination of all of the prayers and all of the hope that we've had for him to recover and begin to regenerate his energy. And I thank you for it. And now I just ask that you would be among us during this service that your Holy Spirit would just reign in this place, that you would speak to all of our hearts. You know exactly the need 
that every person here brings to this congregation today, the secret yearning of their heart, the secret broken places in them. You know all of that, Lord, and I ask you to fulfill it and send each one of us away with a sense that we have met with Jesus today. In Jesus' name.
Today, uh, the reading is from Psalm 8. 
O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is the man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of earth. And then uh, uh, please stand and join me in uh, uh, reading one of the most comforting psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Holy, holy, holy.
Our New Testament reading comes from Revelations, chapter 21, verse 10, and chapters 22, verses 1 through 5. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer would there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Sounds pretty good, huh? <laughs> All right, we have a responsive reading. Thanks be to you, our Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits which you have given us, for all the pains and insults which you have borne for us. Most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day, day by day. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, all does come from you. And you have entrusted some to us. You call for us to give back, to share with others, to share your word with others that do not know you. So Lord, we each have different talents. And those talents can be shared in many different ways. Please accept the talents and the gifts that we give today and the gifts that we gift every week or all the time to be pleasing in your sight and guide us to use them as you would have us use them. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would your eyes to the doxology. continuing our series um, on an actual pick up the first of the uh, letters to these seven churches in, chap in Revelation chapter uh, 2 verses 1 through 7. So the first one is to the church in Ephesus. Uh, to, the church, uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. 
I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. Which I also hate, not, not whom, but which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord, we come before you this morning, and uh, I pray that you'll take the words that you've been speaking to me all week and, and apply those to our lives, that you'll open up ears to hear uh, what your word says to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, so just a couple of uh, things about the book of Revelation, all right, and um, I remember when I read this, I said revelations. Uh, it's actually revelation. It's one revelation. It's a unity. Um, so we all do that. We, we, we call it plural, but it's a unified whole. So the whole book of Revelation. And so these letters then are part of the whole book of Revelation. They're, you know, they're, it's not that we have separate parts that are kind of put together. The whole thing is, is one piece. Um, and so that's important. It's, uh, every detail is important, and all of it, there's, there's an importance in terms of the sequence of events and the sequence and the letters and so on. In the book of Revelation, there are 404 verses, okay? And there are, in those 404 verses, there are 800 allusions to the Old Testament. Isn't that incredible? It's almost two allusions to the Old Testament in every single verse. And the whole book of Revelation is a visual prophecy. Um, and again, as we've mentioned before, it was written about 95 AD. We're not exactly sure, but right around that time. And um, Chuck Missler, in his um, teaching on this, uh, on this particular uh, book of Revelation, says there's four levels of application okay, that we're going to look at in terms of how we apply these, um, these admonitions to the churches. First is to, is local. It was, they are written to a particular locality, and these are not just abstract churches, they are church locations located um, in the, what's called the Northern Aegean, and they were all, at that point, all home churches. The church is just getting started, so we're not writing to buildings, we're writing to home congregations uh, of people. The second level of application is that it's an admonition to all the churches. So each one of them um, is meant, and probably, we, we don't know for sure, but probably uh, the, the, seven, the, the whole thing was, was sent to all seven churches. Maybe in sequence that they, you know, somebody took them around to the churches, but maybe seven copies sent to each one of the churches. So all the churches are reading all the admonitions. That's what we're trying to say, probably, as far as we can tell. Um, and then there is the application of, you know, a personal application to each and every one of us. 
And so we look at, as we look at these admonitions to the seven churches, they also apply to our lives. And so we're going to be looking at that, of course, as we go along. And the last part is the prophetic. Um, and I'm not going to cover that uh, because we're not going to do the whole book of Revelation. So I want to just, uh, I won't cover that part. But that is that they profile the history of the church um, in some way. And so, as I say, we're not going to go into that. Um, each of the seven churches was probably surprised by what was written to them and about them, okay? Um, so it's not that, you know, probably some of those things they knew, but some of them were probably surprised um, that the angel of the church would be saying that about them and to them. Some who thought they were doing well found out they had some problems. And those who weren't doing well found out they were doing better than they thought they were doing. So, um, what's that? Go figure. Go figure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it was kind of a report card for the churches. Here's the things that, you know, you're doing well. Here's the things you're not doing well. Uh, here's some things you need to work on. And I think it's important to, under, to understand that John, the Apostle John, came to, came to uh, Ephesus and came to that region, and he was probably uh, going to each of those churches and, and was kind of an apostle over all the churches. So this is written not just by somebody who has, you know, maybe heard a few things about these churches. He was probably intimately involved with those churches as, you know, in going from church to church on a regular basis. Uh, we, we've had that, um, uh, I remember one guy in Turkey now, and he just does that. He's a Turk, and he goes to all the churches, try to cover all the churches in Turkey. Uh, there aren't as many as there are in the United States. You know, there are not, not that many churches. So he tries to get around and go to the churches, and he knows the people, and he, and he knows the problems that they're dealing with, and so on. There are seven design elements um, that we see there's a, there's a formula that fits all of these churches, okay? And we're going, so we'll be uh, pointing those out as we go along. So for the, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, there's the name of the church, the church in Ephesus. And then there's the title of Christ's nature. Uh, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Stand. So for each one of these, there is a title for Christ. Third thing is commendations. Um, and so John, uh, you know, in the spirit then, exhorts them for certain things and commends them for certain things that they've done right. And then he lists the concerns. The nevertheless, or yet, or but. Uh, not all of the letters, but in most of them, there's some sort of um, concern and exhortation. And then there's the promise to the overcomers. In this, in this letter it says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Okay? And so in each one there, there's a promise to the overcomer. And then there's a closing phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, in this one, six and seven are reversed, um, but in, in the rest, they're in, in that order, each one of them. The other issue is, what does it mean to the angel of the church in Ephesus? 
Um, that, you know, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough phrase. And what does it mean? Well, it could mean that it's written to angels, uh, kind of like guardian angels, uh, um, heavenly messengers. And the word in the Greek, angelo, angelos, is, um, is, can mean either angel or messenger. All right, so it could be uh, a heavenly messenger, or it could be some sort of earthly messenger or ministers. So it could be saying, you know, this is written to the, to the you know, those who are, or who are watching over the churches, uh, you know, as, as, as earthly messengers. Or it could be personifications of the prevailing spirit of each church. Now, my own thought is I think it's a representative of each church. So, um, you know, whether it be a heavenly messenger or earthly messenger, that it's, it's, a, it's a representative of that church. And then, as I've pointed out before, um, and let's go on to the next slide. I think we've got it. Okay, well, sorry. Whoops, that didn't work. Yeah, I want to go to the map. Um, uh, go to the next one, I think. Is it okay before this one? No, I guess it's before that. Okay, the next one back. Okay. Um, yeah, here's, here's Ephesus on the coast. Um, and then, um, well, anyway, that's, that's not going to work. But um, So let's talk about the city of Ephesus. That, that's where we're going with these slides, okay? So the first thing about Ephesus is that it was estimated at about 250,000 people. So one of the larger cities in, in that whole region at that time. Um, okay. And Ephesus was called the Queen of Asia. So it was not only a very large city, but it was very beautiful and uh, known as the Queen of Asia. It became eventually the Roman capital of the province of Asia Minor. And so it was a very key city. The climate, um, it's hot in the summer. Uh, we've, we've taken lots of teams in there into Ephesus, you know, because everybody, that get, when they go on a tour with us, they want to go to Ephesus um, and go to the seven churches. So we usually go around to the seven churches. Um, and if we do it in the summer, it's hot. I mean, in the mid-afternoon, try to go really early like you would here. Uh, but very mild winters. Annual rainfall is about 27 inches. So we have around 12 inches here, so about twice as much rain as we have here. Um, today, of course, Ephesus is a ruins. It's a relic of a city. It's not, you know, uh, there, there's no real city there anymore, except for the ruins. William Barclay says that there were some reasons why Ephesus was a great city. And the first is, that it was the wealthiest and the greatest city in all of Asia. It was the gate of the province, uh, both on the seaway to Rome and also on the great central highway. So let me show you this, um, if I can get back here. Um, here's Ephesus, right? Okay, well, you're not showing up on there. Anyway, you can see where Ephesus is, right? <laughs> it's not showing up very well. Um, but you can see the, the roads that go, um, and there were actually three roads, three major roads that went out of Ephesus. 
And so Ephesus, both for you know, inland highways on the Roman roads, but also, of course, the, there's a lot of ship traffic in the Mediterranean. And so Ephesus was a key, you know, key uh, commercial center and key transportation center, both going into Asia from, you know, in different roads going into Asia, but also on the Mediterranean Sea. And one major road went eastward through a pass to Sardis and then to Galatia and beyond, second road to Magnesia and up the river, the valley of the river Meander to Iconium, third ran from Colossae to Laosia, all the way into the Euphrates. So we have, um, you know, a major center. And Ephesus became known as the highway of the martyrs uh, because those who were being, who were being, the Christians who were being martyred would go through Ephesus, board a ship, and be taken into Rome in order to be martyred in the capital city. And Roman Empire emperors also always entered Asia through Ephesus. So very much a, an important city. It was regarded as the greatest trading city of the province of Asia. Now when we say province of Asia, okay, the... Um, Go to the next slide. Maybe we, maybe we can get, uh, oops, okay, forget that. Um, the province of Asia is, is what we call minor, uh, Asia Minor. And it's not, we think of Asia as, you know, everything really uh, east of the, of the Dardanelles, e east of, uh, of the Bosphorus, you know. We, we consider that to be Asia. But then Asia was, Asia, what we consider Asia Minor, was a province. So it took in the, the uh, well, I, maybe I can get this. Yeah, here we go. It takes in, you know, right about in that area there. And there are different provinces. Uh, <clears throat> also, Ephesus was a free city. Some cities, the Roman Empire, had conferred on them the title of being a free city um, because of their f fidelity and services to the empire. Um, also, the famous games of Asia were always held in Ephesus. So very extremely important city. It was also the center for the worship of Artemis. Now when we talk about, okay, the next slide, I know we've got, yeah, that's the statue of Artemis or Diana, it's the same. One of them is Greek, one of them is Roman. And, um, and so the great goddess Artemis was worshipped in Ephesus. And the, the greatest temple to Artemis was located in Ephesus. And in fact, when you come into the harbor, you would see this great temple. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and so you can see here, uh, this building. This is a reconstructed building, an artist's conception of what it looked like. Next slide. Here's what it looks like today. <laughs> this is it. This, this one single column is all that's left of this uh, great temple of, to Artemis. And, and then this is really a kind of a swamp. And so it's, you know, it, it really is not even that much fun to go see it because it's just a big swamp with a, with a pillar standing in the middle of it. But Artemis was the deity of the whole province of Asia. And there were three gods who were worshipped 
in the province of Asia, Artemis or Diana, Zeus and Asclepios. And Zeus and Asclepios, when we get to Pergamum, um, there were great temples to Zeus and to Asclepios. And uh, we'll pick that up there. But the goddess, Art goddess Artemis had a growing influence since every city of Asia was brought into as a trading partner with Ephesus, then they would also export the worship of Artemis. And so the image of Diana was one of the most sacred images in the ancient world. It was so ancient that nobody knew its origin. And that's why the people of Ephesus had so much animosity when they thought that Diana or Artemis was being discredited. Remember in the, in the, uh, in the riot that, uh, that occurred in the amphitheater in Ephesus, they were very upset. People were, and they, it says that they, they sang out, for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And, and you know, can you imagine just this, this huge crowd at the top of their lungs crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Because, because Artemis was so important um, as a figure and, and the worship of Ar Artemis was so, uh, was so important. And then there's the temple to Artemis um, that we just looked at. And... It was 425 feet long, 220 feet wide. There were 127 columns, and each one was 60 feet high. So we had a, and they're all marble. You know, all of this is done in marble. And so, as you can see, that's, you know, the, what the artist's um, image of it was. It was four times as large as the Parthenon in, in um, Athens. So it was a huge temple. But it was involved in ecstatic sexual rites. So they would combine, you know, and say that they are worshiping God when they have sex with temple prostitutes, both male and female. So, um, you know, obviously introduce a whole lot of immorality into the city of Ephesus. So not only was Ephesus known as a great trading center, but also as a place of incredible immorality. And so in uh, Acts chapter 19, it says this, uh, and this is the, the uh, great riot that took place. And here, here's the description of it, Acts chapter 19. There's danger, there is danger, okay, and this is, the, this is Demetrius is uh, talking to then about this, he, Demetrius was a silver, uh, <coughs> created silver idols of Artemis. And so the trade was being discredited. And so this is his speech. He said, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its name, okay, as a, you know, as a silversmith, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Okay, so uh, a, a great, um, a great, um, uh, you know, a great riot that took place. And eventually it just, it just petered out and nothing happened. But, uh, but it was that, that was the event that Paul realized that he needed to leave. And it wasn't soon after that that he left uh, Ephesus. 
So, and Ephesus was a notorious center of pagan superstition. They had amulets and charms for healing the sick, bringing children to the childless, ensuring success. People came from all over the world to buy amulets in Ephesus. Okay? Now, an interesting story. Um, one of the trips we took was early on, probably in the early, maybe 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, we took a team into Ephesus. Uh, we were going, taking a tour of the seven churches. And we took this team in. And we always would stay at, there was one tourist hotel in the little town that's called Seljuk, which is right, uh, it's, Ephesus is a ruins, but there's a small Turkish town called Seljuk that is right, uh, right next to Ephesus. And we would take the teams into this hotel, though it's called the Callahan Hotel. And one of those, uh, one of those trips, uh, you know, we got to, we always try to establish a friendship with the, with the owners and with the, you know, waiting staff and so on and so forth. Well, Caroline struck up a friendship with the daughter of the owner. And we couldn't, I, I talked to Caroline about this, neither of us could remember her name, but, um, but anyway, so in the course of that conversation, Caroline shared with her how we had, you know, it had taken us a long time to get pregnant. There was a, you know, we didn't know if we could, would ever have kids, and finally we adopted Amy. And so Caroline shared that story with this, with this lady, a young girl actually, and she said, you know, and so she shared, yes, I have been wanting a child for years and years and years. I don't remember how many years it had been, maybe 10 years or something like that. It had been a long time, and she had not been able to have children. So Ch Caroline said, um, I'll pray with you. And so Caroline prayed with her that she would conceive and have, have a child. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, prayed in the name of Jesus that she... Well, we didn't think much about it. About two years later, we went back to the same hotel. We walk into the lobby, and this girl comes running to Caroline and throws her arms around her, and she says, you prayed for me to have a child. I want you to meet my son. <laughs> and, and it was, uh, I mean, it was just an incredible experience. Uh, and so, and I think she had two by that time, uh, had two kids. Yeah, and she didn't tell you to stop praying. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, when I think of, you know, these amulets for bringing children to the childless, um, Jesus can bring the same kinds of things that those amulets, I mean, the amulets are, I mean, they're not effective at all in doing anything, but um, Jesus can, and we have living proof of that. <clears throat> so in Acts chapter 19, verse 19, it says, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Now a drachma is, the, is the, uh, how much they would be paid for a day's labor. So it's 50,000 day, day labor, you know, um, <clears throat> days worth of labor. Or, you know, if we figure $200 per day for a day labor, that's about $10 million in today's prices. So it was a huge, huge business um, in, in Ephesus. And those are just the ones that they're getting rid of. You know, there's still a lot of people that, that had scrolls and so on. So um, as we mentioned then, Ephesus also became a center for crime and immorality. 
just like many of our big cities today, the United States. They're known for crime and immorality. It was a notoriously evil place. It was called the Vanity Fair of the ancient world. Heraclitus was one of the most famous of the ancient philosophers, and he lived in Ephesus, and he was known as the weeping philosopher because he said no one could live in Ephesus without weeping at the immorality which you see on every side. Okay? So, uh, so as an example of that, and I'm going to um, run through some slides on Ephesus. This, uh, is this the first of the slides? Okay. Okay, that's the first slide. Okay. So Ephesus, I'll just show you some of the beauty in Ephesus. How many of you have been there? Have you been to the ruins? Okay. Um, this is the great library. And um, it had, I think, 200,000 scrolls. Well, that's a lot of scrolls. And right to the right there, you see this? Boy, this is not showing up very well in here. But um, right to the right of that, it, there are porticos and, and, uh, that lead into the Agora, or the great uh, shopping area in Ephesus. And it was huge. And this, this library, um, yeah, just a really beautiful ruins uh, that they've reconstructed at this library. And, and the city was so uh, immoral that there, were, there was a tunnel from the library to the brothel. <laughs> so so you, would, you would tell your wife, you know, I am going to the library and do some reading. <laughs> okay. that's, how, that's how corrupt it was. And this is on the, uh, the outside of the library, and then the, the statues uh, there's four statues. I, I can't remember all the names. One of them was Sophia, but there's four different statues uh, in, the, in the front of the library. Next slide. Uh, this, is, this is just, a, I, I think it's a representative of the school of Tyrannus. And Paul, you remember, Paul went into the, the, uh, the school of Tyrannus and would, and would preach there and teach there during the afternoons. Next slide. Uh, this is actually facing out now. The library's on our left, and this is, goes out into the Agora. Uh, and we had one time, we had, a, we had a prayer event there, and it was in, this, uh, it was in the Agora. Uh, it was really an, an incredible time. We spent a whole week praying and, praying and worshiping God uh, right there in that Agora uh, and praying for the country of Turkey. Next slide. Uh, this is the great amphitheater, and it's one of the, one of the greatest amphitheaters, you know, in, in the whole uh, Roman Empire. And it seats 25,000 people, okay? And the, they would calculate the size of a city based on how big the amphitheater was. Um, but 25,000 people is a lot of people. And one time we went to a, um, we went to a, uh, it was a, an, a choral society of St. Martin's in the fields. And, you know, really beautiful uh, presentation. But it was down here in the, in the I wish I could show this. Let me, let me get it closer and see if I can go back to that one. Maybe if I get up here. That doesn't show up. Okay. Anyway, um, down in there in the stage area, they were in the stage area, 
And so I wanted to see what the acoustics were like. I've always heard that it was, you know, incredible acoustics. So I climbed way up to the top of the amphitheater, and I could hear almost as easily as I was sitting right next to him uh, down there. So I, you know, just incredible acoustics. An incredible amphitheater. And you would, as, so as you come in from the harbor, um, Ephesus was on the harbor. As you come in that harbor, this was the first thing you would see is this great amphitheater before you. Um, and this is just another shot of it. Next slide. Okay. Um, yeah, there's one. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, but this, yeah, this is, this is coming in from, uh, this is coming in from the, from the uh, ocean then, the, the sea, Mediterranean, and looking up into the amphitheater. Okay. <clears throat> so it was the largest city of its day, but what happened was that the, eventually, um, it was the Kuchuk Menderes, or Kuchuk Meander River, uh, ran, ran through there to the sea, and it eventually silted up and so today, Ephesus, the ruins of Ephesus are about, about six or seven miles from the sea. And so that's what happened to Ephesus. Uh, the harbor silted up and it was no longer, you know, good for as a transportation center the way it was. Paul visited Ephesus and founded the church in Ephesus. On his first missionary journey, he didn't go to Ephesus. Um, and this is... Now, this is his second missionary journey, but his second missionary journey, he started and went up into the, uh, I guess I'll have to get up here. That's not doing. Anyway, it goes, it goes up inland, you see, and he goes around, and then he comes back to Ephesus on his second missionary journey. He, um, I'm sorry, he went into Ephesus and then came back around and stopped in Miletus rather than going into Ephesus, and that's where he called the Ephesian elders together. Uh, so Paul founded the, the church in Ephesus, and then, of course, we find out that John later became the, you know, took on the, the uh, apostleship of those seven churches. And this, uh, this passage in Acts 19 and it says this, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. All right, this on his second missionary journey. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul headquartered then in Ephesus, and he would do this often. He did this in, in Corinth. He did it in, when he went to Rome. He would go to the, one of the key cities, and then the word would go out from that city into the surrounding provinces. And so Paul stayed there at least two, maybe even three years, uh, teaching people, and then they went out and planted all these other churches. So in a sense, Paul planted all of those seven churches, um, but it was through other people, you know, sent out from Ephesus. And when we, um, when we first started going back to Turkey, they had, at that point, they had a school of Tyrannus, one of fellow from, from um, 
Cyprus had come over and had planted a, and started a, a Bible training center in Seljuk. And he called it the School of Tyrannus. Just, you know, going back to Paul's, Paul's teaching and so on. And so Ephesus later became the center of missionary operations throughout Asia. Timothy may have become Ephesus' first bishop. And uh, Polycarp, we'll, maybe we'll mention him again sometime, but Polycarp uh, became the bishop of, of Smyrna and, uh, and that part of that region as well. Okay, so let's go back to our text. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary. And then he skipped down to verse 26. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the Ephesians then are complimented and encouraged because they had, they had done good things. They'd done a lot. They're, they were known for their deeds, their hard work and their perseverance. They had, they had tested those who were false apostles and had found them, you know, and, and maintained doctrinal purity. And they were years of intense persecution, yet they had endured. And they had maintained doctrinal purity. They did not tolerate wicked men, had tested those who claimed to be apostles, but were not. They hated the practices of the Nicolaitans. Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. But notice here that the heretics were both inside the church and outside. So there were people inside the church who were leading the people astray as well. So who were the wicked men? Uh, one commentator says that the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites were the same people. So the Nicolaitans, the whole thing with them was that they accommodated the culture. Remember, Ephesus was a very immoral culture. And so the Nicolaitans combined Christianity with immorality and tried to, uh, you know, tried to, in order to be relevant to the culture, they adopted their immoral practices. Does that ever happen today? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to reach them, so we're going to have to become like them. So they were advocating Christian liberty and Christian freedom for all believers, and they were viewed in the next century as those who shared both wives and goods, something like the hippie communes were <laughs> you know, at one point. And remember that the worship of the goddess Diana involves sexual license, so they were blending Christianity and accommodating, trying to accommodate and, and compromise with the culture. So it says this. So they're commended for, you know, their works, for lots of things. But they, I mean, they weren't, the, uh, the Ephesian church was not buying into that practices of the Nicolaitans. Okay, they were rejecting that. But then it says in verse 4, yet, okay, here's the nevertheless, or but, or yet, nevertheless, I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Okay? So it's interesting to me that in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. 
All right. Now, so 35 years early, earlier, they had been commended for their love. Ephesian church had been exemplary, known for their love. They were one of the churches that was just known to be loving, both toward the Lord and toward each other. 35 years later, the angel speaks to, you know, the, Jesus speaks to the angel of the church and says, you've lost your first love. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Paul's two-year stay in Ephesus was around 53, 54 A.D., the letter of the Ephesians was written about 60 A.D., and the book of Revelation was written in about 95 A.D. So 35 years had gone by, and the, that which they had been known for, their love for one another, now they're being admonished that they'd lost it. And so what had happened is they maintained purity and holiness by hating the practices of the Nicolaitans. And, you know, when they had majored on doctrinal purity, but they'd lost their motivation. They'd lost why they were doing it. They'd lost their first love. Something had gone wrong in those 35 years. They'd forsaken their first love, their devotion to the Lord. And they'd forsaken, because of that, they forsook their love for each other. Because when we stop worshiping and loving Jesus, we stop loving each other. I mean, it's true in marriage, it's true in the church, it's true, you know, wherever you go, our love for the Lord translates into love for one another. And perhaps, we don't know, but they, their defense of the faith had led to a sour and rigid orthodoxy. How many churches have, have you been in, and I've, I've been in, where there's, where there's a, just a real solid emphasis on doctrinal purity and all that kind of thing? I'm not, not, you know, I'm not depreciating doctrinal purity, but when we do that at the expense of loving one another, something is wrong, and that's what had happened with them. They seem to be doing the right things for the wrong motives. They'd lost their love. <coughs> The real issue was that of motive. Like a loveless marriage, they were still together, but it ceased to love the Lord or to love one another. Their passion for Christ had waned. Not waned, but waned. Okay. They were doing all the right stuff for all the wrong reasons. Because the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another. They lost their reason for doing right. Verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So the antidote for a cooled passion for the Lord is to go back to that original love that we have for Jesus Christ. And that's what I pick up from this letter. That's what's important coming out of this. That we go back to that incredible relationship that we had at first with Jesus. Because we can get so busy in the work of the Lord and doing all the right kinds of things and lose our devotion for Jesus Christ. God prefers devotion to doctrine and service. Now, now I'm not depreciating those. Doctrine is extremely important. 
Service is extremely important. We need to do what we, you know, what God has called us to do. There's all kinds of admonition to be doing things. But if we are doing those things and not loving Jesus, something is wrong. The motive isn't there anymore. The passion isn't there. They were to remember, repent, and do the things they'd done at first. What did they do at first? They loved Jesus. They were too busy doing the work of the king to bother with the king himself. And we can fall into that as well. Because God prefers devotion to doctrine, to service. And all of the rest of that comes out of our love for Jesus Christ. As it says in this, you have left your first love. Jeremiah 2, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Okay, Jeremiah is prophesying to Jerusalem when Jerusalem had, had gone into all kinds of apostasy and so on. And he says this, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth. How is a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown? So there was, you know, they, they, as a bride, the nation of Israel loved the Lord. And then they lost their passion and their love. Transformation begins with a love relationship with Jesus. And so I would exhort us as well as, as the angel did to the church in Ephesus to go back to our first love. Uh, that love that we have for Jesus Christ. All Everything else comes out of that. John chapter 12, there's a wonderful story. Uh, six days before the Passover... Jesus arrived at Bethany. Okay, Jesus, when he would go to Jerusalem, he would go to Bethany and stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay? Um, where Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair with her Wiped his feet with her hair, I'm sorry. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And, um, you know, it just speaks to me that we go back to what, you know, Mary, uh, you, you remember the other story with Mary and Martha, and Martha's serving, and Mary, you know, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, and we see this, Mary, there's this incredible love that she has for Jesus Christ. And she's willing to take this very expensive perfume that she has, an alabaster jar of perfume, and, and pour it on Jesus' feet. Now, it was partly, you know, for kind of an anointing for the, the death that he would soon face, but it was just her pure act of devotion out of a heart of love, and she just loved Jesus with all her heart. She was willing to expend whatever she had in that love of Jesus Christ. She took the most precious thing that she possessed and spent it all on Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Love is not love if it nicely calculates the cost. Love gives its all, and its only regret is that it doesn't have yet more to give. In short, we're to fall in love with Jesus again. And so I would like to exhort us that all of us would, would examine our heart again. 
And this week, you know, when you're at home and you're in your devotions and so on, just begin to pray, God, I want that passion that I had with you from the beginning. In all of us, we wouldn't be here if we didn't have a passion for Christ. You know, when, when we find Christ and there's just a, a devotion that we have, a love for him, and then we get busy doing all kinds of stuff, and we begin to lose that passion and that love for Christ that we had at the beginning. So let's examine our hearts. Let's, uh, let's rekindle that love for Jesus Christ that we've had. We've all had it. I remember when, um, you know, I, I, I was courting my wife, and I lived in Ashtabula. She lived in Cleveland, and one summer we were, we were separated, and I would go, I think, almost every weekend. I would drive 60 miles up to see her, 60 miles back, and, and we were like that in our relationship with Jesus, weren't we? We would do all for him. We sacrificed all of him because we loved him so much. Let's go back to that. Let's examine our hearts and let's examine those motives and let's examine you know, that love that we have for him and rekindle that love that we have for Jesus Christ. Put away distractions. Simplify. Let's focus on Christ and Christ alone. Father, we, in Jesus' name, we come before you and, and all of us, Lord, have mixed motives, mixed passions, Father, we're praying that you'll simplify our passion for you. In those areas where we have become distracted, um, Father, may you take those distractions away and may you just give us a pure love for Jesus Christ. May you rekindle our love for Jesus Christ again. We pray in his name. Amen.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us your Son, who taught us, who taught us to love, who taught us how you wanted us to be. Let us go back to those, remember what it was like to first come to you, to first understand the love you've shown us, the love you teach us, and the love you would have us show each other. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that we could be that kind of a loving person. Amen.